Pinball legend Wayne Nines dies. Queen Pinball revealed. Turner Pinball announced. Interview with Jersey Jack. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston. I'm the editor of Pinball Magazine, and I'm joined by me, Martin Ayub. I'm the editor of Pinball News, and we are here to look back at all the events in the pinball world that took place in July 2022, or at least all the important ones which are worth reporting on. Yeah, and not so much all the events, but we're focusing on the pinball industry events. Uh, because it's far too complicated oh, to go right. all and oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk a bit about you, you the get what we're, what we're heading at okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. okay so kicking off with oh, uh, very, very very sad news yeah. and not um, entirely unexpected I guess but um, yeah Wayne Nines the legendary pinball designer probably the most prolific game designer ever ever in the, yes uh, in the pinball industry um, died just a couple of days ago at the grand old age of 104 years and one day. Yes, and uh, um, I was at first, um, um, I learned on his birthday that he was in hospice mm. and that his two daughters, uh, Patty and uh, 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 Phyllis, mm. I think usually he goes by the nickname Betty, so we have Patty and <laughs> Betty, uh, were with him. Um, apparently his son wasn't, but, um, well, I visited Wayne twice. I stayed at his place uh, twice to do uh, my interview with him, uh, for uh, which was published in Pimple Magazine number five. And... Uh, Everybody that, that has met Wayne or knows Wayne knows what a wonderful, friendly uh, personality he was. And he loved talking about his career in pinball, um, the games that he worked on as far as he could remember. And uh, while he was certainly of age, his head was still young. It was amazing. Mm. And he often complained to me about that, uh, saying that uh, his mind still wants, wanted to do things, but his body just couldn't. And we're obviously not talking about uh, uh, going uh, uh, water surfing or, or <laughs> water, water skiing, although he still did that. Uh, I think uh, he mentioned that he did that uh, way into his 70s. So um, he was a very uh, sportive guy as well. Um but his resume in, in, in pinball is probably unmatched. Mm. Um, he started out at the uh, uh, Western uh, uh, Pinball Company, uh, it was called Western, under uh, Jimmy Johnson. And um, one day, uh, not getting uh, properly, uh, getting into an argument about his... his uh, uh, payroll, I suppose, mm-hmm. yeah. um, decided, uh, he packed, basically he packed his tools and he left, um, had the choice to either go and uh, see if he could work at Genko or at Gottlieb, um, decided to walk in at Gottlieb and that's where he worked until his pension. Yeah. yeah. Started, started at the line and quickly... Uh, um, well, uh, basically on the first day, Jimmy Johnson came looking for him, uh, knocked on the door at David Gottlieb, 
uh, and basically Dave Gottlieb, who is a very small uh, person in, in length, um, basically told Jimmy Johnson, who is a bear of a guy, to go screw himself. <laughs> <laughs> As they were. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so you have tiny, tiny David Gottlieb kicking Jimmy Johnson out of the door, and uh, he never bothered uh, Wayne again. And that was the start of a very uh, uh, good relationship between Wayne Nyans and David Gottlieb, and allowed uh, probably allowed Wayne to to grow into the company um, uh, as an assistant to. Uh, the, uh, uh, Harry, uh, Harry, Harry Mabs, who was the yeah. designer, the main designer at that time, um, then becoming a pinball designer alongside Harry Mabs, and then taking over. In the meantime, Harry Mabs invented the flipper, and that's when things really started off for uh, for Gottlieb. And Wayne designed like the exact numbers, probably in, the, in in Pinball Magazine number five, but let's say 170 plus games. And yes, those are electromechanical games, but it's still amazing to see how creative Wayne could get with just a couple of elements like, okay, we got bumpers, we got uh, pop bumpers, we got targets, um, we got rubber rings, we got posts, we got a couple of flippers. What can we do with them? And he managed to crank out such creative games. Um often overlooked by uh, the new generation at, uh, at pinball shows. But there are collectors who, who realized what, what brilliant games Wayne uh, came up with. And at that time, uh, Belly and Williams were also around. But Gottlieb was absolutely number one uh, pinball, in pinball manufacturing. And Belly and Williams couldn't even come close. That was only that once uh, Solid State was introduced, mm, yes. that that Belly and Williams took over and, and Gottlieb sort of missed the boat on that one. Um, so following his career as a pinball designer, Wayne became chief engineer, which basically meant that uh, Ed Krinsky was the next uh, uh, pinball designer uh, to design games at uh, Gottlieb. Had to sign off every game uh, or Wayne had to sign off every game that Ed designed, so if it didn't get the approval of Wayne, the game would not go into production. So uh, he designed 170 plus games himself, but he was involved in like hundreds of other titles as well, because Ed Krinsky also designed 100 plus titles. So by far the the the, the most prolific pinball designer and. Um, a great person to meet. Um, I, I'm very fortunate uh, that I was able to visit him at his home in, uh, in in Mountain Home, and it was a shock to me to to learn that he was in hospice. And I was still thinking to myself, well, it doesn't have to be that bad. But um, well, the next day he yeah. already died. Yeah, and that, was, that right. was kind of a shocker. So, well, and, yeah. um, he just just celebrates his hundred and fourth birthday. Yeah, I, I, I am okay. I'll tell this anecdote. Mm-hmm. Um, Wayne told me, um, I think probably two or three times in the story of when he celebrated his hundredth 
birthday, it was a friend of his, and he said, like, Wayne, you're going to be around until 104. <laughs> and um, it sort of feels to me that Wayne probably, uh, uh, well, he told me that story a couple of times, and um, I think Wayne was like, I'm going to stick in there to 104, and then there was nothing left to accomplish. Yeah. <laughs> Well, probably true, but uh, it certainly gave him something to, to aim for, and uh, and typical of Wayne, he, he achieved it. Um, and um, I think he's been an inspiration to, to so many people in the industry, hasn't he? Um, I can only hope so. And uh, still, uh, some of his games are, I think, could, could easily be adapted into uh, 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 pinball slash redemption type games uh, with, a, with a slight twist you know and the way uh, Wayne was designing his games in those days they were all about winning free plays and mm. if you convert that to uh, a redemption nowadays there's so much possibilities there so well yeah and of course he uh, um, invented the, the animal system as well didn't he he did yes uh, but he I also other things uh, I was going to say, uh, I think he was the first to introduce uh, gobble holes and uh, kick-out holes uh, or drop-through holes where the ball would pop up later uh, somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, he was very creative with the limited uh, um, parts that, that he basically had to design the game. And um, uh, Well, it's a pity that he's gone, obviously, at 104 it's inevitable that at some point uh, he, he, uh, he's not going to live forever. So no. we realize that. and uh, But that still doesn't mean that um, it wasn't a shocker for me to learn that he actually made it to 104 and one day and then... Yeah. Well, a, uh, a very, very um, inspiring life and a very productive and we could all only hope to live to that, that kind of ripe old age. Right, and especially um, with, with um, if, if, you, if you see how bright he was, still at the age of 100. I yeah. mean, there's, there's people in their 60s who are already completely gone and, <laughs> and lost it and don't remember anything, uh, not with Wayne. So um, if you're going to live that long, uh, um, you'd be so lucky to have Wayne's health. You know, so and of course, um, uh, my condolences go out to the, to Wayne's family and everybody um, who were um, his friends. Who, and yes, exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. So uh, well, and, there, and, and and while we're on the subject, oh, yeah. uh, that wasn't even the only uh, tragic loss in the no, pinball uh, uh, pinball community. Um, uh, you want to touch on uh, the other uh, loss later yes. on? Um, no, let's do it now, as you mentioned it. Um, and um, I'm afraid we have to re report the, the sad death of Raphael Lanka, who, yes. uh, who ran the Paris Pinball Museum. Yes. Uh, with an absolutely amazing collection of uh, mostly mechanical or electromechanical uh, pinballs and slot machines as well. Yes. It, he, um, it was a kind of like a private collection, but he would always welcome um, visitors to his uh, his Paris um, menu. Pinball museum, yes. Yeah, to, um, you know, if they were, uh, 
if they were fans of the game, he'd be delighted to to tell them all about the uh, the history of the game and show them how the game progressed over the years through through his uh, his absolutely pristine machines. And yeah. uh, I unfortunately was never fortunate enough to go and visit it um, his his uh, museum. But you were, were you? Done? Yes, yep. yes. Uh, I've been there. I think two or three times. Um, most many of the games that are featured in Pinball Magazine number 5, uh, which are Wayne Nyan's designs, have actually been photographed in the Paris Pinball uh, Museum. Um, so I was allowed there to, to go in there, take the glass of the games, take photos of the playfield, of the back glass, everything, uh, which was very kind of, uh, of Raphael. Um, he was a very outspoken... Uh, former operator. I think he was actually still operating games in, in some bars, but not at the scale that he mm -hmm. used to do. But I think Raphael basically owned Paris. Mm, yes, um, I heard that. And, and, uh, he made a fortune operating, uh, pinball machines and, and, and other, uh, operating, uh, amusement devices, of course. Yeah. But, but pinball was his big passion. Um, so he, uh, he had the museum, he had, I think he had one or two hired technicians to, to keep the games in tip-top shape. So it's a, it's a collection um, with, with games in pristine condition, uh, which is something that's very rare to come by, uh, 200 plus games. Um, uh, most of, of uh, the games that... that uh, Gottlieb manufactured, actually, I think the majority of the games in the museum is Gottlieb, and only a handful, Belly and Williams and Jenko and, and, and some other ones. Well, um, let's, uh, let's hope that uh, his his collection um, survives and is uh, and goes to a good home. Um, I can't imagine anybody else is, <laughs> is likely to be able to, to rehouse all of his machines. Um, yeah, well, the family of uh, Raphael Lankar uh, announced that they will Make an announcement on the future of the uh, regarding the future of the museum on his Facebook page. I haven't seen anything yet, but no, in all fairness, I haven't I haven't checked either. So no, oh, my, anyway, we don't want to um, dwell on too much bad news, but it certainly is sad for uh, for friends and family of Raphael. Well, we, we certainly lost a um, a personality, and uh, not everybody was happy with the the, the character that. Um, Raphael was, but uh, we got along very, very well uh, when I visited him. So, um, another sad loss, Indeed. I'm afraid. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's move on to some uh, some slightly happier news then. And right. um, we have a new game revealed this sort month. Sort of new game, yes. Well, uh, it's the official re reveal right. of the Queen Pinball Machine from Pinball Brothers. And yes. It's a game we've seen before because last year it popped up in a pop-up store. Queen, a uh, yeah. merchandise pop-up store, to, uh, right. to be precise, in yeah. London. It was, and uh, which I was uh, fortunate enough to go and visit and uh, do a report on. And um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised how um, how like that prototype version uh, the actual production version is. The artwork is very similar. It's not identical, but it's um, it's got a slight rearrangement of the back glass, which I I thought was probably going to, just like a uh, almost a placeholder, but it isn't. It isn't. It's um, it's a, a properly um, 
um, approved a rendition of the, the four characters um, from, from Queen. Okay, I, uh, I hear a cry for aftermarket mods. Uh, yes, well, it could very well be. Um, but um, the, the playfield is also very, very similar. The one that was uh, on display in the pop-up store in London was missing you know, various sections like ball guides and ramps and things in order to get the ball and keep it in the right places. But this has obviously now been, been uh, completed. But the basic layout of the game is, I'd say, the same. I, I can't, I didn't notice any particular differences. Right. So anyway, um, so, so so speaking of the layout of the game, yeah, um, I informed with um, uh, Rodiker, I suppose. Uh, I recall his name. Is uh, who was the uh, PR guy for um, uh, Pinball Brothers, and I asked for uh, credits. Uh, who who did what on the game and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, and this game started out as a design by uh, Barry Osler and Dave Sanders That's at right, the time yeah. at uh, Highway Pinball. But the current designer, uh, the current credit for uh, pinball design goes to uh, the Pinball Brothers design team and Alexander Spohr mm. from Germany. Yes, who was part of the team, I, I believe, at the time. Yes. He, well, he Brothers. was part of, uh, yes, part of the team uh, uh, in a management position, but mm-hmm. I think he stepped down from the management position. But it obviously is uh, still involved. Yeah. Um, I mean, the game as designed at Highway Pinball was a wide-body game, I believe. Right. So it was uh, it was reformatted and um, and redesigned to fit into a standard-body cabinet. Right. Um, but yes, it was it was um, a highway people license um, title, I should say. It was always going to be based on the live performances of the band. So it was specifically it was, in uh, Wembley Stadium, particularly the Wembley Stadium. Yeah, um, and that hasn't changed. That's uh, exactly how it is now. Is I think it was originally going to be called Queen Live when it was a highway pinball game because of. Uh, that's exactly what it was. So they were showing um, concert footage rather than uh, music videos. Right, and, and now it's called Queen Live in Concert. So yes, that's right. Well, Queen and then Live in Concert is almost a subtitle to it. Right. Anyway, getting back to what's been announced, there are there are two versions of the game. There's the Champions Edition, which has a retail price of nine thousand two hundred ninety-five US dollars. And the Rhapsody edition, limited edition, which costs ten thousand nine hundred ninety-five US dollars, so seventeen hundred dollars more. And that edition is limited to a thousand units, I believe. It is indeed, and we believe that all the Queen games are going to be built by the same company who's been building the Alien pinballs for Pinball Brothers, and that's Pedrosi Gaming, who are uh, in Milan, in Italy, or on the outskirts of Milan. Right. So uh, yeah, and that has been confirmed to me by uh, by the PR guy from uh, uh, Pinball Brothers. Um, too bad there's no gameplay video yet. It was a little bit of a weird announcement. It was uh, didn't seem to be anything in particular which prompted it, but uh, I get the feeling that it uh, it was the licensor who wanted the game to be announced around about that time. I don't think Pinball Brothers are you know are necessary in the the state to show everything they'd like to show of the game at the moment, because as you say, no gameplay video. I did wonder, although I haven't had this confirmed at all, whether it was the announcement was, was like a tie-in with a recent uh, news report about Queen, the, the band Queen, 
uh, which was that uh, they have, have just become the first act to sell over 7 million copies of an individual album, which is Queen's Greatest Hits. It recently, another time to the timing of it, uh, spent its 1,000th week on the UK album chart, and it's been calculated as owned by one in four households in the UK. Right. So there was a bit, bit of you know, press and publicity all around the Queen. If, uh, if, if you look at that, those numbers, it makes a lot of sense to do a Queen pinball machine. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was one of why it hadn't been done before. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, now that Champions Edition that you mentioned, um, uh, that will only become available uh, the first quarter of 2023. So up to then, uh, um, it looks like it will be the Rhapsody Limited Editions. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure whether the game's actually going to be be produced before that point, or whether that's going to be the first title or the first. From, model. from what I understood, is that production will begin in uh, September of this year. Oh, I so. say, yeah, I did say in the fall, yeah, in the autumn of this year. So uh, I expect uh, the game at least to be available, for example, at Pinball Expo in October. Um, yes, I think it's going to make its first appearance in the US at the Super Awesome Pinball uh, Tailgate Party, which is being held at Cointaker, because Cointaker, of course, the, the US distributors for right. Pinball Brothers games. Oh, that's so that's nice, in nice, September, nice. I think. Yeah, probably. I don't know the date for my head. I got an invite, but... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, me too. Oh, cheers. L- love to attend, but... Um, being in Europe, um, yeah, slightly difficult. It is indeed, but um, I think that's where it's, it's going to. It's slated to have its first public um, presentation. Anyway, okay. it, well, we can't it, wait. How to... finished it will be at that point? We don't know. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm very curious. Um, uh, I think there has there, there was a slight, uh, either a video or or, or a. Um, a rendering of a virtual version of that game uh, available on YouTube. Um, I'm very curious to see code-wise what they did with it and uh, whether they managed to improve it. So because at, at, I, I remember that video where you basically hit a target and you get a snippet from a song like uh, uh, um, you hit a target and it goes uh, Radio Gaga and then it you get another target and you get a different song which is kind of yeah sort of confusing bit, bit random so, isn't it yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. oh well yeah we'll, we'll see. see so uh, anyway we need to move on because we have a lot of uh, news to cover this month it's been been very busy and we have a very lengthy interview with Jersey Jack we do indeed so um, let's, let's move to Jersey Jack as our next company because uh, obviously they are making Toy Story um Toy Story 4, to be precise. Yes. And there's been some new code for for that released this past month, version 1.07, which right. um, well, I expect as it's uh, being being developed, it was it was already very well developed by the time the game was released. So these are now just a few little um, tweaks to it to uh, to change the um, multi multi ball qualifying difficulty and things like that and scoring in some multi balls and right. a few other bug, bug fixes and improvements and uh, and to help improve the, the score bit handling as well so nothing major but uh, some tweaks to it but um, obviously there's a lot of lot of buzz 
around. You see what I did there? A lot of buzz around uh, Toy Story <laughs> at the moment. So um, we wanted to uh, find out what's happening on that game and uh, also what's happening at the Jersey Jack Pinball Factory. So uh, only one person to speak to about that. And that's uh, Jersey Jack Guarneri himself. Since the last time we we spoke, you've certainly launched at least one one new game. And um, tell, us, tell us a little about how that went. Now on uh, on launch day, you must have been um, pretty excited with the way with the the sales on the day. Launch day was really great. I mean, it was um, it was kind of interesting because. People are waiting a long time for your next product, and you're hoping, uh, you know, that it's well received and people, um, people love it, and that's what happened. And it was strange to me in a little way because I was working on this title for such a long time, and what happened, you know, was like this tidal wave, which was great. And then I, I kind of stood back for a moment and thought of the historical part of it where nobody ever did Toy Story at all in the amusement industry on any product. And here's a Toy Story game. Uh, it's Toy Story 4, but of course there's elements of all the, all the movies with the characters on the game. And, um, you know, we, we sold... With the <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Uh, it's embarrassing to say how many dollars of of sales there were because uh, it's just very humbling. So it was it was great. It was really great. But um, I think it would be a miss of, of uh, us to to skip over the uh, the fact that it was Toy Story Four, which was not what people were expecting. I think that's that's fair to say. Um, I, I don't think there's any surprise that it was a Toy Story game. That had been uh, well trailed in advance, if not ever sort of confirmed officially. But there was a there was a kind of oh, it's Toy Story four rather than it's Toy Story. Um, was that kind of expected? Did you did you think when you announced the game that people were going to say, oh, it's it's not what we were thinking it was going to be? But or did you think that people just wouldn't no wouldn't mind? It's Toy Story. Toy Story is Toy Story. Um, personally, you know, I felt that Toy Story was Toy Story because I was so far into it for so long. Um, I trusted and trust the design team, Pat Lawler and John Yowsey and his whole team to come up with the best assets, the best rules, the best play modes, the best action, the best artwork, uh, the best sounds, um, you know, we had we had real people from the movie, um, uh, you know, and they were and, and you know doing voices, call outs, things like that. So we spent a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of thought, a lot of energy, a lot of passion to make the greatest game we can make. And I, I think with the assets of Toy Story Four and the storyline and the arc of the characters. I think I think Toy Story Four made the best representation of uh, of what to pick, especially with the video assets being the latest, greatest assets to work with. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the licensing of this then, because when you first licensed it, it, it was it was before Toy Story 4 was even released. So you had the, the first three movies, and that was that was what you licensed, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. uh, we still and have Toy Story. that changed, but, um, but what was the... Well, it didn't the, really change. It the only change, change. Toy, well, the only change was that Toy Story 4 came out, you know, we had Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. We didn't have 4. Um, and then 4 was announced. And then at some point, and I don't remember the dates exactly, but at some point, it was announced that Toy Story 4 was being pushed back by a year and a half. So at that time, um, Pat focused on Willy Wonka um, because we had a longer window to get into Toy Story. And I had a shorter window to complete Willy Wonka. I had a couple of other pinball companies trying to actually uh, give me trouble about Willy Wonka, uh, claiming, well, they're not doing it. They have the license, but they're not doing it. We want to do it kind of thing. So, you know. Um, <laughs> okay, but, but, but um, this just got me uh, thinking. If you have the license for Toy Story 1, 2, 3, and they're pushing back Toy Story 4, wouldn't that just be a great opportunity for you to actually release Toy Story 1, 2, 3, and a year and a half later when Toy Story 4 comes out, you get a new push for your game, basically. It's a new movie, but 1, 2, 3, you know. Why skip uh, switch to, to Wonka instead of saying, you know what, we'll do 1, 2, 3, and good luck with 4? Well... You know, everything's great in the rearview mirror. It's, you know, you, you make a good argument, but at the time, you're trying to work on something that's going to take you a long time to make it. And you don't know what four is going to be. And I, I tell you what kicked in in my mind. Uh, the hair on the back of my neck went up because I had The Hobbit, which was a great, great, great property. And The Hobbit was going to be two movies. Okay, but uh, a character that's the main uh, enemy, uh, bad guy in in the movie, is Smaug the dragon, yep. mm -hmm. and we don't know what Smaug's going to look like. And now it went from being two movies to three movies, really. And I had this whole like deja vu all over again feeling, like Yogi Berra said. And I said, you know, I don't want to get into that because what happened with Hobbit, if we go down memory lane, we released the game, we showed it with the assets we had, and Smaug looked like a wet rat once we saw what Smaug really looked like. And then it took me a year to redo the game and more than a million dollars to do that to give the greatest impression of what the license was. And we were successful. You know, there's... So much in that game, and there were four different models because we had so many assets. But timing is kind of the important thing. I didn't want that to repeat with Toy Story. I really didn't. And I said, okay, well, we we actually know what Willy Wonka is. We know what uh, the actors look like. We know what the music is. We know everything. We don't really know the whole story of Toy Story, how it's going to play out. And certainly, no studio... No studio is going to trust me or any other pinball company with a multi-billion dollar franchise 
that people are going to keep their mouths shut and they're going to divulge uh, character information and, and videos and all kinds of uh, assets um, for something like this. So, you know, as I think about it, um, my previous experience uh, taught me uh, don't go down that road. Let the road, let the road play up to me. And, and of course, as, as you said, you had um, other companies breathing down your neck wanting to, to take the Wonka license away from you, so you had to bring bring that game out and satisfy Warner on that, too. Imagine there are jealous people with, uh, or competitive people. Let's not say jealous. I'm not negative. I'm positive. So there are other competitive people that see you doing something and they want to do it also. Uh, not that they thought of it. It was an original idea. And they, they kind of said, hey, uh, we understand uh, so-and-so has this license, and they haven't done anything with it in the year or that they've had it. You know, let us let us have it. And, um, you know, when you get asked questions about things, um, I, I want to be honest, and I want to tell people that are partners with us in licensing and other things what's going on. And so it... It, the opportunity kind of presented itself to jump into Willy Wonka, and you know there were rumors that there was, uh, you know, Toy Story became Willy Wonka, this, that, and everything. There was there was nothing there. There was nothing to uh, to speak of. That one came became another one. It didn't happen that way. Okay. Now, um, when you were actually coming up with the with the Toy Story product, Toy Story Four product. Um, this is unusual because you brought out a limited edition and a collector's edition. You didn't bring out a standard edition. Why no standard? And also, related to that, why we, why have you limited the maximum possible run to 6,000 machines? Isn't that... Is, is that something to do with the license? Or is that... Because that, that, that sort of restricts you in the future, doesn't it? Well, so let me take your first question first. Mm. Um, the limited edition was always a great selling game, and the collector edition was always a sellout. And the standard game, which the thought process was, um, it was going to be for operators, because operators, and since I'm an operator, I could say we're a little bit more cost-conscious. Uh, the standard game became the rarest games that we ever built because the operators bought limited and collector edition games and put them on their locations just because they could. So it wasn't a thing about price. So that model kind of from our portfolio eliminated itself because why would we make something and sell so few of them just to say that we have these three you know, these three models, you know, I mean, as, as the facts change, you, your opinion and your actions should change. You shouldn't just say, well, we're going to do it. Why are you doing it? Well, because we always did it that way. Well, probably not the right answer, you know. And the putting a number on how many of something we're going to build, it's internal. You know, when we get to a number and we build it, we need to build the next game, we need to build the next game, we need to build the next game. We have four games in development right now. Um, you know, with Guns N' Roses, it was great. Um, in a way, you know, you had to deal with the pandemic and all the things that go along with the pandemic. 
So we just focused on building Guns N' Roses and building it, building it, building it, building it, and 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 doing that. And we didn't, you know, we did we kind of skipped the year where we didn't put out another game. Mm. Um, you know, ideally, I think we would love to put out, you know, a game every nine months or somewhere in that time frame uh, to do it and and get better and and get along on track. But every time you have plans. What happens? You know, things change, and you know, with uh, all of the events of the world, we all know those things that have changed. Um, how you how you do things and you adapt. Yeah. Right. So does that mean so, standard editions are a thing of the past? Then, just quickly. I would I, at this point, I would say yes. I, right. I don't I know that um, I don't know that we would do it. I you know my famous quote: I can't. I don't own it, but never say never. It's Anything's possible. So, you know, if you have me on your show in three years and you say, remember back when you said you would never do that, you know, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Maybe, but I don't think so. Any chance that we might see other models of Toy Story 4? Any chance that you might see other models of Toy Story 4? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. But again, I would say... You mean like what happened with Hobbit, right? Mm. We had yeah, Black Arrow and went back yeah. and made Black Arrow edition and all those, you know. And people, it's a crazy thing. People, I hear from people, I'm not going to say every day, but I would say a couple times a week where people call me and say, uh, you know anybody that has Hobbit games? I'm really looking for a Hobbit game. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Kind of funny. Right. Now, touching back on what you just mentioned, you said you have four games in development right now. Um, as we understood, Pat Lawler retired, and uh, that leaves three designers at uh, Jersey Jack right now that we know of. If each is working on one game, then does that mean there's a fourth designer? Hmm, you know, you do your math pretty quick. <laughs> math pretty quick so I'm not uh, not ready to reveal anything at this moment but uh, stay tuned okay well picking up on something that Jonathan mentioned there about, about Pat obviously he was uh, instrumental in the company's success over, over recent years I, I couldn't help but notice that one of the first things that leapt out at me when I saw Toy Story 4 and the, that class was oh look there's a PLD logo on it the Pat Lawler design logo. I haven't seen that on any of Pat's earlier games. I haven't seen that since he was a contractor working for Stern. So does that mean that, that Pat designed this game outside of his employment with Jersey Jack? Had, had he actually retired by the time Toy Story 4 was designed? Um, and is he still... Because we haven't had an announcement that Pat um, retired. So what what's the status with that at the moment? What what's his uh, think, what's his employment status with yeah. the company? Yeah, I think the PLD logo, the hand grenade pushing the red button. I think that's on every game that he's done with us. I don't think so. Well, at least dialed in. I think it's on Willy Wonka. Oh, well, I went back and looked at every every back glass, and I couldn't see it. Maybe it's somewhere else. But uh, I'm willing to. Uh, so there's nothing unusual then about. Toy Story 4 um, and, and Pat's status with the company at that point. 
Well, I haven't heard Pat announce his retirement. I haven't heard that. Um, so, you know, I've been asked the question uh, in public and private, you know, did Pat retire? And my answer is the same, pretty much. I would say I would defer to ask Pat the question and let him provide the answer of what he's, you know, doing or not going to do. But, um, you know, Pat was... Uh, uh, important to bring into the company uh, back in 2013, and I'm thrilled that he, you know, did what he did with the company for us. And uh, I don't know what he's going to be doing in the future. I, you know, I truly don't know. I, I haven't sat down with him and, you know, asked him what he's going to do. I think at this point, you know, he's taking some time off and he's. Deciding what he's going to do. Yeah, well, at least that's something that we now sort of have a confirmation that he's taking time off, uh, and hopefully uh, all for the best. Don't mm. get me uh, don't get me wrong. Um, I know he's signing he's signing collector edition plaques for the collector edition Toy Story game. I know that. As are you, I guess. <laughs> as as I am, yes, that's true. <laughs> so, um, um, on a on a completely different uh, uh, topic, and we might get back to Toy Story uh, for uh, uh, in a minute. Um, but obviously, you've been around the block a couple of times when it comes to um, uh, selling pinball games, uh, being the owner of a uh, a pinball company, uh, Jersey Jack Pinball. Uh, you've attended. Plenty of pinball shows. Um, JJP is now ten years in existence. Um, if we look at uh, 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 probably well, uh, the biggest competitor uh, being Stern Pinball, would you say there's a difference in uh, Stern Pinball customers and Jersey Jack Pinball customers, or is it just old people that love pinball? Well. I think there's a loyalty um, to both companies. I think there are people, when I had PinballSales.com and it was Stern's biggest distributor, uh, there was obviously one company making pinball machines and the choices were limited, right? There was used or new, and if you were buying new, you are buying a new Stern pinball machine. When I started the company, it's 11 and a half years now, going on 12, so it's a little sapling that's growing bigger as we go along. Um, you know, there were people that were early supporters of what I was doing. They, they just, you know, I haven't thought about it or talked about it in a really long time, but <laughs> these people um, gave me money for a game they never saw and they never played. And for the most part, they waited patiently for a very long time to get the game, and I think I got an email from from uh, Paul Brown the other day from California, who's been a customer for more than 20 years, and he was with me in the beginning. Just so appreciative, thank you, and the humbling type of emails that that I started Jersey Jack Pinball because um, to a lot of people it was uh, raising all the boats as the tide was lifted. So new technology, other companies 
uh, adopted ideas that we had. Uh, to think of a game without RGB LEDs today, or without a monitor in the, in the back box, or, you know, a subpar kind of sound system, or, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity, and, and all those things today, they're kind of all taken for granted if somebody just came into the pinball scene right now, um, they wouldn't really know the the history of of how those things came about. You know, in, in the beginning, what I wanted to do was keep the best love things about pinball and change some things and add some things, bring new technology, which I would believe would bring a new player base. And I try to do the same thing when I do licenses. I try to expand the player base with licenses and titles that we do. So um, uh, what I said earlier, amazing to me that the coin-op industry since 1995 and Toy Story came out as a huge hit for Pixar Disney in 1995. Nobody, not one coin-operated game manufacturer in the whole industry thought to license Toy Story for any of their games. Not for a video game, not for a redemption game, not for a pinball machine. I must be some kind of genius, which I really don't think I am. But imagine that. Nobody ever did Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz was a 1939 movie. It took until 2011 for me to license Wizard of Oz. Then any Wizard of Oz was done for anything. So, again, you know, one of my favorite entrepreneurs who put a ding in the universe, Steve Jobs, try to give you customers what they don't even know they want yet. I think there's a lot of loyalty to Stern Pinball. Um, you know, I was happy to be a big part of uh, helping Stern get uh, move forward. You know, I remember the days when I was selling Austin Powers and John Borg was on the line tweaking games and then I called him a couple weeks later and he got laid off from the company. And it was a killer because, you know, that was that was what I was trying to sell was Stern Pinball Machines. And when we did Platinum Monopoly games, when we did Gold Austin Powers, when we did Gold Record Elvis games, when, when Gary and I had the idea of riding in his convertible, let's take, let's take Family Guy, it's such a great game that Pat Lawler did, and turn it into Shrek and put green molding on it. That was so unusual. Gary said to me, you know, when... Japanese car companies made cars and they made them with brown interior and black interior. Once they went into colors, they got into all kinds of trouble. And look, Gary was very smart. He kept the company going and, and we did a lot of work together to build pinball and to keep, keep the flame alive. And uh, look at today. Look at all these people that are designing pinball machines. All these little companies yeah. that are trying to get bigger and what it is now is you have so many new people at the shows. You mentioned shows. You have so many new people at shows that are just discovering, not rediscovering, but discovering pinball for the first time. Young people, uh, people with families, people with disposable income. In spite of inflation, in spite of quote-unquote recession, in spite of all those things, everybody is going to have a game for their home, for the experience of it. And these games, they're, they're really priceless. You know, I never get people calling me, you know, from 25 years of selling games to the home. 
saying, hey, you know, we're moving and I'm selling my games. It's, it just doesn't happen. People just take them with them and it becomes part of the family and they keep them. Well, picking up on, on something you were talking about there, um, all the other companies, when you when you started out, uh, Jersey Jack, people 11 and a half years ago, you were able to offer the people buyer something they weren't getting from any other company or the only other company at the time. So you were able to bring them a fully featured, immersive, high-tech, large LCD, full sound system game. Nowadays, there are there are still companies starting up, even today, you know, announcing that they're going to get into the pinball business. They're going to, and there are companies still to announce that they're about to come into the pinball business. What can they add that isn't already being catered for by the plethora of other companies already making games, including yourself and Stern and American and Multimorphic and you name them? Um, what what new? idea can, can a company that's starting now in the pinball business bring? Well, they can watch what we bring with our next games and then they'll know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, allow me to, to uh, um, rephrase Martin's question or, well, maybe not rephrase, but... Is this um, cross-examination now? <laughs> no, 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 no. Redirect. No. You, you you mentioned that uh, uh, nobody in the amusement industry went after uh, Toy Story 4. Nobody went after Willy Wonka. Nobody went after um, uh, The Wizard of Oz. Um, now, if we sort of take a helicopter view on the on the, on the pinball industry, um, could it be that? Um, Pinball companies consider these themes to be suitable for um, uh, kids, and we're taking ourselves way too serious and want to make the next cool stuff for uh, teenagers and hipsters, and not so much cater to the uh, younger, uh, the children community. Uh, could it right. be? Could that be the case? Right. So, I mean, I, I think pinball companies I, are in in the market to sell machines, regardless of where they go, right? If, if you have a, 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 a children, or a theme that children love, why not just make that game? Because you're in the business of building machines, right? Or do I get that wrong? Variety is the spice of life, I think. I think if you make everything that's a comic book theme or blood and guts or just rock bands and things like that, it it gets it gets boring, you know. I mean, there are rock bands that came to me that wanted me to do a game. And they sold thirty million albums, and then there's a rock band friend of mine came to me and said he wants to do Guns N' Roses. Well, they sold more than a hundred million albums, and and the person's a friend and a co-designer. And so, who am I going to go with to make the game? What am I going to do? Make the game for the the band that sold 30 million albums or the band that sold more than 100 million albums. You know, so some of these stories, they do write themselves. You know, you can be very adept and very, um, very open to things. And look, you know, I've said it years ago, if I like chocolate ice cream and you like vanilla and I only have a store that sells chocolate ice cream, I'm out of business. And what am I going to say? Well, nobody wants ice cream anymore. That's why there's so many flavors. And I think 
with pinball themes, there are some themes that really lend themselves to tell a great story, and you can get the assets, enough assets. There's never enough assets, let's say, but get enough assets to make a great game. But not everything is a pinball machine, you know. Right. I don't think I don't think I'll be doing like um, you know uh, certain certain different artists, certain different. You know, it's. I, I got to say this, and I can't say names, unfortunately, at this stage, but there are people that contact me. And they're well-known artists or well-known bands or well-known groups or well-known type of license. And they want us to do a pinball machine. And they say, we only want Jersey Jack to do this game. We're not going to offer it to anybody else. <laughs> and, you know, I respect them and I have a conversation with them and I explain that um, in the nicest of ways that while, yes, that person is uh, great and I'm even a fan, it does not a pinball machine make, um, and it's it's sad. Um, you can't do them all. Uh, if we were making, uh, you know, broken record line for me, if we're making T-shirts or lunch boxes, it would be something different. But we're not. Uh, it's, you guys know better than me uh, what goes into these things to make them at the level that we make a game. And um, there's a big there's a big commitment, not just in money, of course, but time, energy, and we all know you need a design team that cares about what they're making because I I don't think I could have a kitchen where I'm serving a, a steak and have a vegetarian cook it, you know, and and, and do it with love. So uh, you got to get the right themes for the right people that that design them, and then they come out great. Well, you mentioned the uh, the size of the team that uh, that works together to order to create these these games. Would you say that right now Jersey Jack Pinball is right sized? Does it have the right number of people working for it? We're always hiring. Okay, there's never a bad time to hire a really talented, passionate person that wants to come to Jersey Jack Pinball. As you know, as we're recording this. It's it's August first. I don't know if I'm giving away any secret. No, Tomorrow is the one year anniversary. Tomorrow is the one year anniversary of Steve Ritchie joining the company. So just think of that. That was in the blink of an eye. That was a year ago that I was out there in Chicago with Steve and Pat in front of the door welcoming Steve to the to the building. So um, you know, it's 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 never a bad time uh, to hire good people. And uh, oh, mate, we should get always, Steve on. We're always looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get Steve. I'm sure you can get Steve. You know. So Steve loves um, the guy. Um, I had a question. After that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it uh, oh yeah, yeah. That, oh. Um, I re I remember. Um, um, so what you just said about um, uh, uh, certain bands. Uh, 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 being interested in, in, in becoming uh, featured in a Jersey Jack uh, or a pinball machine or, th or have a game themed after them. Um, I came to think of an artist and I was wondering um, would that actually fit the, uh, the Jersey Jack uh, criteria, so to speak? Can't imagine who you're thinking of. Um, well, since you're Jersey Jack Pinball, um, there is 
a worldwide known uh, artist from New Jersey mm-hmm. that hasn't been featured in the pinball machine ever. And I figured, actually, I came to figure, figure like, why not? And that would be Bruce Springsteen. Would that be a potential license for a Jersey Jack pinball machine? Uh, you know, it could be, but you know, Bruce Springsteen. It's funny. There was just a picture of him in the newspaper today, or online, not the newspaper, but online news source. He was at a he was at a local bar in Asbury Park, and he was wearing funny shoes. And uh, he's getting a lot of flack about the price of his concert tickets because they have something called dynamic pricing, mm-hmm. and uh, some of these tickets now are. Four and five and six thousand dollars to watch a two and a half hour, three hour concert, and you don't get a pinball machine with that five or six thousand dollars. You just get the memory of the experience of hearing him do his greatest hits. And I do, I do see get, a great business model here. Yeah, I mean, um, if Bruce is listening and he wants to do a Jersey Jack game. Uh, my number is all over the place. It's real easy to get in touch with me. Just Google search me, and I don't know that I'll have as many hits as he would have that come up, but it's easy to find me, and uh, we could talk about it. Right. But well, it doesn't again, sound like you, then, Jack. You're, you're normally the one who goes chasing the licenses. You don't wait for them to come to you, do you? Uh, you know, music's an interesting thing because, you know, music... It seems music games. It took me a really long time to do a music game, and people ask me a lot of times. And I remember years ago, even when we had games from the other company I used to sell games for, it was I would almost use the word polarizing because there are people that either loved it or hated it, and and you lost those three or four months or six months when you had that certain game to sell and nobody wanted to buy it. You know, it's. It's hard to believe that in those days there was really only one game to buy. And today, um, you know, there's a lot of different games to buy, brand new, uh, remakes, uh, used games. So I think you really have to be, um, you know, you have to be really committed to what title that you want to go after and what you want to build and what market it's going to be in, right? It's... I've said it many times before, I mean, licensing, it's not difficult. Um, but brain surgery isn't difficult either if you're a brain surgeon, right? So the way I feel about licensing, it's not really difficult. I look for things that uh, cross um, geographic boundaries and cultures. I look for things that are uh, multi-generational and something that you can tell a story about and have fun with. Um I'm still and, uh, hearing Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> well, you'll turn it down a bit. <laughs> you can get touch. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I don't know how Multi-generational, you found out. Multi-generational, internationally known. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you found out what our next game is, but, you know, we're <laughs> strangling it. <laughs> so are you, um, are you still sort of trawling the, the marketing um, catalogs of, uh, of various... Um, movie, um, TV, music, and other companies to, to, to looking for licenses, or are you are you kind of well set for the next few years now? 
We have a number of licenses, but again, you know, just what I said about employees before and people that want to come work with us, I'm always, I'm always looking um, because these things they take, they sometimes take years to negotiate. Believe it or not, and then when music is attached to them, uh, sometimes the music takes years to negotiate mm. and to get all the start dates, start dates lined up, and all the end dates lined up. And all the uh, stakeholders lined up, and everybody to agree, and yeah, so it's um, it's 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 a fun process. I love it. It's only part of what I do. Um, but but you know, uh, if 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 you get Bruce Springsteen to call me and we have a good conversation, uh, and I might entertain that. You know. <laughs> I don't think he owns his music anymore. I'm not really up on Bruce Springsteen. Oh, you sold it just yeah, so it's to Sony, I think. Yeah, so well, there's somebody just, else to negotiate with. Huh? Yeah, that's right. Jay, oh, well. Jonathan, you already make it harder for me now. You know, <laughs> guy doesn't even control. What kind of guy is this? He don't even control his own music. Ah, oh, well, the the thing is, he probably doesn't own the master recordings of his songs, but. Um, Any new show that he does, if it gets recorded, is a new master, so uh, take a live recording. And I understand Bruce is the greatest live, so why not? I mean, that experience... Are you going to buy me some tickets? Are you going to buy me some tickets at Dynamic Pricing for a show in, uh, in New Jersey? Uh, Depends how dynamic they are. I'm not sure how dynamic my wallet is. <laughs> what do you What do you think about that? Isn't that just amazing? People, I know we we all. I know, for me, it works the other way around. I mean, I see concerts where I want to go, and uh, uh, we have this thing here uh, called Ticket Swap. There's always people bailing out at the last minute that they can't go, and I buy the tickets for ten dollars, and I attend the show that people paid a hundred bucks for. So that's, th- that's also dynamic pricing, I suppose, but it works the other way around. So I get a, I get the same show for cheap. Yeah, I haven't I, seen any, and I'm not embarrassed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to go with Joanne a week or two ago, a couple of weeks ago, to see Billy Joel for the ten thousandth time in Madison Square Garden. She's, I would say, a super fan, and she got tickets first row, right behind the stage, which you would say. Behind the stage, what kind of tickets are those? You know, and I think, she paid, <laughs> I think she paid a hundred and fifty bucks a seat, and online they were going for like a thousand, crazy after a while. And I had, even though I've seen Billy Joel since 1975, I had a great time at the show because we were right there. We were, you know, a few feet away, and then you're looking at Madison Square Garden packed. And people all the way up, like, have to see him on the jumbotron or with binoculars. And it was just, it was just a great show. I had a great time. I always have a good time with Joanne, but you know, I had a great time because the concert was was good, and I was close up, and I felt like I was, I was in it. I wasn't yeah, like was part of the band. looking at a TV. <laughs> yeah, I was. I wasn't looking at a TV in a concert arena, hearing the sound. It was a whole different experience. So. I get why people want to be close, you know, but you can't always be close. Well, not if there are sixty thousand people that want to be close. That's a bit <laughs> challenging, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you what, Manhattan is back, the city's back. Everywhere I've been is just packed with people, and uh, 
I think they're just thrilled to get out and, and get back to normal life and, and do things that they weren't able to do for a year or two. It's just great. Okay. Yeah. Kind so, of speaking of, of which, um, you mentioned just now that you uh, that licensing is is just a part of, of your day to day work. Do you want to tell us, you know, roughly as a, an example, you know, what what other aspects of the company you you uh, work for, control, or decide on, or uh, right, what, what, what's the job? Well, I'm involved with all of the games that are in production. I'm I'm involved with. Uh, uh, the processes, the the calls that happen, uh, Zoom calls, the meetings. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to Chicago for the day. I'm just taking a quick hop out there because I got a lot of other things going on this week. But go out for the day. I, I 5:29 tomorrow morning I'll be boarding my flight. Wow. I'll be um, uh, there's. Uh, you, you'll be celebrating with Steve, I suppose. Yeah, when you know that kind, of worked out, that kind of worked out by accident, but yeah, I guess so. You know, I want to, I want to see how he's doing physically with my hands on his <laughs> on his game and and shoot it and everything like that. And I want to check in with Eric. I want to check in with Mark. And being there is a little different than you know being on Zoom, you know, being on Zoom and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So. Uh, um, you know, the, the day goes pretty quick. I get these, sometimes I get these podcast people that want to talk to me for hours. Oh, I know that. Uh, you know, those guys, uh, you know, I try to stay away from that. But, yeah. You know, I do get, I do get a good number of customer calls during the day. Uh, people call me about a lot of different things. Uh, uh, sometimes a problem, uh, believe it or not. And most often it's uh, a lot of good things. So, um, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm bu- I'm busy, which is great. Just okay. You know. I have a design-related question. Now, you're not a game designer, but you're um, in touch with the designers and so on, and so you might be able to answer this question. Um, as you know, um, we're facing supply chain issues. Well, the industry is facing supply chain issues, uh, which is causing uh, difficulty to actually manufacture or continue manufacturing uh, games uh, that, that use certain uh, parts uh, because those parts are not available. Um, with new games being designed, is there a policy to sort of like try to design a game that doesn't use parts that might become difficult to source? Or is it just designers have free reign and they should design the best game, whatever, regardless of the parts that they uh, uh, want, want to use in their game. It's it's more the latter than the former, because, uh, you know, I thought you were going to say we could design games without parts and stop the sentence there, but uh, that's not possible. Um, you you got to give people the freedom to be creative um, and and make things that haven't been made before. You still, you still want to see that. You don't want to, you don't want to see every game have a spinning disc and an inline drop target set. You know, in every game, just because you have them in stock. Um, I, I, I don't think that's the way to. I don't think that's the way to encourage creativity, or um, actually to encourage sales and people loving what you're doing. I think you know, you still, you still have to.
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've lost you temporarily. And you want to make something? Oh, there we go. We're back. Yeah. Um, we lost you for a second, Jack. Oh, okay. I mean, you still have this this area, um, and you want to do something that hasn't been done before. And that's always a challenge. And, um, you know, I guess songwriters have that problem. I guess artists have that problem. I guess a chef has that problem. You know, you have certain ingredients you can cook with, and you want to be more creative and make something interesting that people will love. And that's... That's what you want to. That's what you want to cook up. You want to cook up the best game you possibly can. Well, going and picking up on, on Jonathan's point there about, about supply chain issues. This has been something that's been going on for, for well a couple of years now, uh, pretty much ever since the pandemic. How has the supply changed over that time period? Have have uh, various parts sort of become more and less available, or is there, a, is there a general increase in availability now, or is is it just the same as it always was? Well, you got to remember something. When I started the company, there were vendors that were told if they dealt with me, they would never deal with other people. So my supply chain problems started the moment I started the company. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was long before it was way long before the uh, the paper boy knew what the supply chain was. Right? It was Jack started a paper company. Well, we're going to make sure Jack doesn't get any parts, so he can't play any games. So you know, and there you, you, go, na- you navigate around no, things. Sorry, mm-hmm. you know, you navigate around things. I mean, we we are a company that has some really talented, creative people that problem solve, right? And they anticipate a lot of things. Do we run into a speed bump once in a while? Sure, everybody does. But you know what? We pay our vendors very very well in a very timely way and they love dealing with us because we don't have to go to a bank to borrow money or anything like that okay we're very self-sufficient financially we're very capable of doing whatever we need to do and our vendors love us for that so um you know we we've had we've had problems i wouldn't say we didn't have problems uh but we we navigate around them and, um, you know, we keep innovating as well. You know, when you innovate technologically, you're always adding new things to what you're doing. You know, when you keep things the same, it's safe, but you kind of get the same thing all the time. And yeah, I was just wondering whether you see any kind of easing in availability or, um, or, or lack of availability, I should say, of, of components, you know, even like electronic components, whether, whether that is something which has not changed over the years or whether it's it's something which now COVID is starting to be less of a, a factor, um, you're finding you know, um, various components for your games are becoming more available. Well, I have a friend that unloads ships. Uh, he works at the top of one of these uh, gigantic crane things that lifts the containers mm-hmm. off. And I saw him a few weeks ago. He's working like more than 100 hours a week, which is amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I can't even imagine, you know, what what he makes. Uh, but anyway, um, he was telling me about California, and he said that there was, I'm going to get this wrong, but you'll get the right idea. Mm-hmm. You know, like a few months ago, there were 120 ships waiting to offload their their goods and 
as of a couple of weeks ago, there were only something like uh, 18 waiting to offload their goods. So I don't know how true that is. Uh, I don't know if it's factual, but you know he does that, and I'm sure he talks to his counterparts around the world. Um, so that seems to be easing up. You, you hear better things about retail stores having stock of things. Maybe some retail stores have too much stock of things and prices on apparel and other things might be coming down. I'm not an economist, and I don't know. Excuse me, I don't know enough about the whole situation. You know, I, do you still see cars sitting in parking lots uh, where they're not getting delivered because they're missing chips? Uh, I was with a friend over the weekend that was telling me um, he picked up a BMW, or I think it was a BMW, and there are chips missing from the car where the heated seats didn't work and some other creature comfort things like that didn't work because they're waiting for chips for different features in the car. But you could take delivery of the car, so I guess if it's cold and uh, the weather changes, you better go out with a cooling warmer or something like that to warm up your seat because your seat's not going to work. Because there's no chip. So well, never owned a car that had any seat heaters. I'll, I'll take one of those cheap BMWs without those chips. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I don't know. That's just, no. That's you know, just, just, that is a very very interesting point you're that. making there because um, one of the, one of the things that I've noticed now is is happening more and more is that things like heated seats, heating steering wheels, heated windscreens, things like that, they're starting to become post purchase options. So you can buy the car, and then you decide, you know what, I think I like the heated seats. And you pay the company, and they'll enable it remotely in your in your vehicle. So, <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely happening now. People are getting, you know, mixed feelings about this, you know. Um, it's like the downloadable content, the DLC. So how about, this? how about they put you... How about they put you on a subscription service for your heated seats? And you yeah, pay, absolutely. You know, in the summertime, you don't pay for it. But in the winter, you got to pay like 30 bucks a month. But in winter, yeah. in the wintertime, I need my heat seat. In the summer, I need air conditioning. So charge me for heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer. I was just wondering whether that was uh, a model that Jersey Jack Pinball might, might embrace in that you, you buy well, a game you know, and, and you, you buy upgrades afterwards. Well, we're doing Scorebit, which is an amazing online connectivity uh, feature of our game. It's it's loaded into the games. There's no charge for it. There's no monthly charge for it. You don't have to scan some kind of antique code, you know, on your yeah. phone or anything like that. Um, and it's and it's awesome. And there's a lot more features and a lot more things coming out uh, with that in the future. That's going to be uh, even more uh, exciting. You know, I didn't put. I didn't put a full-scale computer in the game uh, to do nothing with it. You know that thing, that thing can fly to uh, Mars and beyond. So, um, as as great as that all infinity sounds, infinity and beyond, actually. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So, as great as that sounds, what about heated lock bars and flipper buttons? <laughs> you know, that's Jonathan. You know, that's a damn good idea. You know, uh, how about how about lock bars that sanitize themselves would be even better. Well, that's true. But I was just thinking in, in relation to Toy Story, because you do have, um, in the collector edition, you have additional content in the game, which is not in the limited edition. So would that be something which you could unlock by purchasing an upgrade? I mean, you can obviously purchase upgrades for the hardware, 
Why, why so right now, right now, all your listeners, right now, all your listeners just cringed and they said, "Please don't give Jack any more ideas." Uh, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you thought of um, there were many discussions about Jack, what you can what you can please, sell. Post, post, don't post. give Jack any more ideas. <laughs> oh, you know, hold on. I, I think at this point our marketing meter starts running. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, before you wanted me to give away all kinds of ideas to pinball companies starting out, telling them what they should do. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, well, I just gave them a great idea. Well, there you go. I, I hope so. I hope. I hope somebody announces heated flipper buttons. Like, We've been waiting for that. Heated flipper buttons. You know, and <laughs> so okay. Now, um, um, uh, okay. Uh, we've talked about licensing. Um, you've done the licensing for Jersey Jack now for uh, uh, almost uh, 12 and a half years or, or something like that. I lost count. Um, is there a license that another pinball company picked up that you were like, I would have loved to get that for Jersey Jack? Um, you know, I, I think... I think if I answer that honestly, yes, there probably is. And now your follow-up question is: now your follow-up question is, what is that license? You know what? Exactly. What is that license? You're you're just uh, as quick as me and my moth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm probably not, I'm probably not going to say, but you know, uh, uh, you you can't get you can't get them all right. So you you can't get them all, and you hope. You hope for the best execution um, and the best reaction from uh, the customer base because I think more pinball is good. I think more manufacturers is, is really good. I think the industry gets healthier. I think the shows get bigger. I think the awareness of pinball gets bigger. Uh, the more people doing it, you know, if you only had one, um, you know, bidder in an auction, it's not an auction, it's no fun. So, um it's nice to see what people think. Sometimes I see licenses, uh, and I say to myself, "Gee, that why would somebody do that?" You know, and uh, sometimes uh, it seems to work out good, and sometimes it seems to work out not so good. I've I have seen some licenses other people have that I've passed on. So you know, maybe they go and they say to somebody, you know. Jersey Jack really wanted this, but we wouldn't give it to him. But we're going to give it to you instead. So, uh, okay, well, that's, that's a good way to pitch it, you know. Right. Um, uh, yeah, there was uh, something else I was going to ask you, which I can't actually remember exactly what it was at this moment. So I will, uh, I will ask Jonathan if he has another question while I try and remember what it was I was going to ask. Um, well, the only question, um, well, you sort of touched on it. Uh, you mentioned that you were uh, sort of aiming to release uh, uh, a new title every nine that was it. months. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was wondering, um, uh, I think in earlier uh, interviews, uh, you indicated that we might see a second JJP game revealed this year. Yes. Um, but I'm also curious, would that mean that we get to see two titles next year? Am I still here? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're still... Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would, be, that would be a great thing. Wouldn't that be a great thing? I mean, we have... 
we have this amazing customer base that I'm always humbled um, uh, that they love what we do and they, you know, they respond in kind by um, buying and loving the games that we do. So we don't we don't take that for granted. Um, we would like to see two games a year, a year, and depending on how time goes, there's not 18 months to a year, right? So there's going to be a game if if we're on a nine month kind of schedule, there's going to be nine months and then nine months and. You know, one game, you know, it, it, there could be a year in there where they both, uh, one comes in early and one comes in late and they're still nine months apart, right? So right, right, if you right. had a game in the earlier part of the year and a game nine months later, you can still hit October, November, December, something like that, you know? Right. It would, okay, be, but, it would be nice. I, I'd like to see that. I mean, I see, I see all the internal progress that's being made with, with, um, people and processes and um, all the things happening and it's, it's it's very encouraging to me you know when you when you start something that that was basically a chemical reaction in your brain and then it becomes this amazing reality where there are thousands of games all over the world and people playing them and people have every game and you see them everywhere and you know I no longer can keep track of all the many things that that go on because of the games around the world. Um, it, it's kind of really cool. It's kind of really cool to see that. You mentioned earlier while we were talking about the the way that operators um, tend to purchase games in the in the early spring for, for a summer season, particularly in Europe, and uh, then later in the fall. Then nothing much happens during the during the summer months. Is any of that does any of that impact on when you announce a new title, or with your focus being more on the home collector market? Is do you just announce a game when the time is right, or when the when you are contractually obliged to? Yeah, I, I think my my standard answer for that is it's never a bad time to launch a great game. So I think when the game is ready to go is. Uh, the time to launch it. I, I wouldn't mind. Um, I, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I wouldn't mind having a, a game or two in the bag ready to go and uh, be able to, to launch it um, at a specific time, uh, you know, of our, of our choosing um, to match the, the nine-month window, let's say, or something like that. Um, so we have to see. You know, again, it's... Uh, it's still a lot of things in play when you, you know, it's, we've said this a million times, you know, when there's a lot of parts and a lot of people and a lot of processes uh, to coordinate, um, to get everything together. It's, it's, it's amazing to me, you know, I'm only doing this now 46 years. Well, I they guess we'll never... Across the world. Oh, oh, we lost you for a moment again. We'll open yeah. them up. Yeah, people open them up and they work. So it's just an amazing thing. Now, it's um, Toy Story was unique in many ways, Toy Story 4, um, particularly in the fact that you had a large number of games pre-assembled, ready to go at the launch time. And obviously that is something you've been working towards ever since you started the company. Was that kind of level of stock, was that only possible because you were able to 
keep running Guns N' Roses for such a long time, or is that something you think you'll be able to, to maintain uh, for future releases? Well, you know, when you're running Guns N' Roses, you can't build the other game because both lines are building Guns N' Roses. So at but, some point, but you ramp down Guns N' Roses. Roses, don't you? It doesn't just stop suddenly. Well, you plan out when you're going to end yeah. that game and when you're going to start the next game and change over the line and train people and start building games and make sure what you're building works and uh, and and go from there. But uh, it was real important to everybody in the company that we have a good amount of games uh, to be able to ship day one, uh, see them on location, see them in public venues. I asked our distributors... Uh, and, and the call that I did with all our distributors around the world uh, in advance of the release of the game, I asked all our distributors to try to get games on location because more eyeballs and more hands would be on the game uh, to see and play it. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with home sales, right? I pioneered home sales, but uh, not everybody is Jason Roofer where they could have 100 people over their, their barn, 200 people over there to play a game and do a launch party or something like that. So, uh, And it happened that way. I still see so many games popping up uh, every day. You know, I see several a day some days uh, where they're on more and more locations. And I think, it, I think it was great. It was great execution. I was very happy about it. I think everybody was happy about it. And do you, do you think that the, the way the market has changed now in, in uh, the amount of time it it takes for some people to get a game. They can they can order you the game on the launch day, and they may not get it for a year. And that's obviously very different from how the market used to be. You know, in in six months' time, the run will be done, and you wouldn't see any more of that that model again. Are people happy? You know, are people patient and and willing to wait that kind of lead time on on their games, or, or does everybody you know I've got to have the game now while it's still hot? Yeah, there's there's a little of all of that. All those flavors are in them on because we we you know the people that ordered more were allocated more. The people that ordered less were allocated a little bit less. So if a distributor ordered um, you know a hundred games for argument's sake, they were allocated a percentage of the hundred games so that they had some stock. Now what I heard from some distributors weeks ago was that. Hey, you know, my customer's on a cruise, and the game I set aside for them, they're not going to be back for two weeks, so I can take this game and sell it to a customer right now, and in two weeks I'll have more games, so I'll be able to replace his game, because we're building games faster. So, you know, some distributors had seemingly games in stock, which is what we really wanted to have, and some distributors didn't have games in stock because, you know, it's an old thing in our industry. You have sometimes you have distributors that say, you know, if if I could get the games, I could sell them. Right. Well, that's true. That's a good point. But if you ordered them, you could actually get them. If you don't order them, we're not going to build them and ship them to you. So you know, um, you have to manage your business. You know, and and what you're doing, you can't just wish or hope. You know, hope is good for Sunday morning in church. It's not good to run a business on hope or, or, or wishing. So, you know, if a distributor says a line to me like, well, you know, I could have sold a lot more if I could get them, you know, well, actually, you would have gotten a lot more if you ordered them. So, 
Well, that's, that's only what true. Can, what can I do? Point, though, isn't it? If, if, what can if I you're, do? You're you know, collector edition games. There are only a certain number of them. I, I limited edition, but that's that's the problem. If there are only a thousand, what's the right number of collector edition games? I, you know, I, I don't pretend to know. I, I, I don't know. You know, because look, what, what did I say? Oh, many, many, many years ago. I mean, they built twenty-two thousand Adams families. Go find a good Adams family right now. I mean, if you find a good one, it's like twenty-five grand. You know, so building a thousand collector games for the entire face of the earth—that's not a lot of games. It would have been—it would have been a lot of games twenty years ago, when there weren't this many people involved in buying pinball machines, mm. especially for their home. Today, it's not a big number. You know, people hear a number of games. Wow, it is a thousand. Those aren't, wow, how many, you know, uh, they must be all over the place. Really? I'm still getting calls daily from people saying to me, listen, if you got somebody drops out, you know, I need a game. Or we've had celebrities call us. We've had major business personalities, people that run like Fortune 50 companies call up and say, Jack, um, you know, I don't know you, but I know you, Jersey Jack, and I'm really looking for a collector edition uh, Toy Story game. My kids love the game. My grandkids love the game. I really need to get this game. And I'll be like, okay, well, here's a couple of distributors that you know uh, you could talk to, and if they have somebody drop out, uh, I'm sure you can get a game. You know, what, what am I going to do? But well, that's we ordered money on the table, isn't it? Well, we ordered parts for a thousand games. We didn't order parts for 2,000 games, so it's a finite amount. And we're not going to go back that. and order more parts. It's, it's done. It's finished. Done. I, I, I see a, uh, a bright business model for dynamic pricing on uh, collector edition games. I think it happens. It's called the free and open market. I mean, you know, obviously, go buy a collector edition Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, I was with you guys in London, and... Uh, You interviewed me, and we were talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. And it was January uh, that year, and I announced, or very nonchalantly, by the way, the factory is sold out of Pirates of the Caribbean. And there were some people that just said, oh, you know, that's just Jack being Jack. He's a sales guy. He's Jersey Jack. What's he going to say? And I don't know. When I I tell people the truth, and they want to overlay it with some kind of bluster or whatever, and then they find out there are no games, and now those games are going for, I don't even know what they're going for. They're going for a few dollars more than what they cost originally, I would guess, right? So, it's supply and demand. You know, there's a very, very big demand for Jersey Jack pinball machines, thank goodness, and again, very humble about it, and very thankful for it, but there's not supply. There's not supply. Okay. Could we go back and build more Wizard of Oz games? Could we go back and build more pirate games? Could we go back and build more of another model of it? You know, I guess we could, but I've said it before. I like to go forward. The windshield is a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. Let's let's go forward. Let's make some more new games. You know, let's go let's go create more. And those people who did buy the pirate games, is there anything <laughs> you mentioned it earlier? Everybody asked the question. I'll ask it too. Is there any hope? The software update is coming yeah. soon. Yes, the software update is coming soon. There are there are a large group of people that that test uh, software with our with our team, 
and they know what's going on so that the rest of the world knows what's going on. We've never abandoned any game. You know, people in the beginning said, oh, they'll never finish the code for Wizard of Oz. Really? It was years and years later, we're still, we're still releasing code for Wizard of Oz. You know, we're still releasing code for games. Um, you know, we want it to be on the Scorbit platform. We want it to be the best it's going to be. The people that work on these things do them with, you know, it's like a broken record again. It's, it's just the level of intensity and passion that they have to do this stuff is just off the chart. And, and we're thankful for it. But, you know, it takes time. It takes time to do it the right way. Okay. Um, getting back to the number of collector's editions, what, what we were just talking about, any chance of that becoming a dynamic number at some point in the future? You know, I, I think I think this time around we saw that a thousand games probably wasn't enough, okay? And I'm not saying that the next one will have more than a thousand games. Um, it would be nice to come to a number where everybody's happy. You know, last time with Guns N' Roses was 500 games. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't enough because um, you know people just went crazy with the game. So this time around with a thousand, my hope again, hope is that word was that um, it would it would be the right number. You know, did you know distributors got allocated games based on what they wanted and based on what their sales were before. Um, so. There were distributors that got games, and they wanted more. No distributor that was allocated games said, uh, this is too many games, take some back. Or no distributor didn't say, well, if you have any cancellations, I want more games. And, and really, here's the big disadvantage right now with the collector edition Toy Story game. Nobody's really seen the game. So when this game gets out there and people see it, touch it, feel it, and play it, Um, that's when some people are going to go a little wacky. That's when, that's when there's going to be some feeling that, gee, I'm so thrilled I got this game, you know, and, and that's, that's, uh, a lot different. You know, your imagination is great, but reality, um, reality should not disappoint with the game. I think everybody would be very happy with the game. There's also be a lot of people who see the game and think, I wish I could buy one of those. And they can't. Because they, they didn't know at the time, or they were too slow, or they didn't, I don't want to use the word um, too openly, because it's, uh, it has connotations, but they didn't believe that um, the game was going to be as good as it is. That kind of implies well, you that, know, the, the other th that the number is too low, you know, you should make more. So again, go back to the what the title is, right? So... With, with the game with the title Toy Story and all the boxes that game checks worldwide, you know, the first Disney Pixar kind of franchise and the movie series is over. There's not going to be a Toy Story 5 or a Toy Story 6 movie. Um, you know, we memorialized the, the series with Toy Story 4 and... People are always going to want that game. I think it's going to become uh, a classic like, like Wizard of Oz and like so many of our other games where it's there, you got it, great, you love it. You know, people, 
people um people that want it people that are waiting for it right now i talked to some of those people and they're just so happy and so excited that they got a collector edition game coming we have some customers that actually bought limited edition toy story games so they had something to play mm, yeah. and then when their collector game comes in they're going to sell their le game yeah. to somebody else you know so uh they they love they love what we did you know, I, I can't argue with that. I would never argue with a customer. So they love what we did. I'm happy to hear that. And there you have it. Jack Guarnieri of, uh, of Jersey Jack Pitbull. Thank you for your time and uh, such a lengthy interview with quite a few scoops, actually. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Um, obviously, a few things that uh, can only be hinted at, but hopefully you got the idea of, uh, of what uh, Jack was referring to there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was surprised to see that I touched on a couple of subjects uh, that where where Jack wasn't expected to um, um, well to talk about and which he didn't. But um, sometimes you can say a lot by not saying anything. Absolutely, yes. Good. So, th so thanks again to Jack, and uh, time to move on to our, our next company. And uh, well. There's quite a lot to pick from these these days. Who, who should we go with? Well, let's go with Sir Pinball because that's in my screen right now. Oh, okay, right. So, uh, well, they've certainly been um, they've been expanding their insider connected leaderboard system over the well throughout um, July, I guess. So yes. they started off with um, with a global rush leaderboard. Which for basically no, Godzilla, if I'm not mistaken, they started out with Godzilla. Oh yeah, but this month it was uh, it was Rush, I think. Yeah. Um, ran from uh, July the first through to the 14th of July. Yeah. Now I haven't been paying much attention to these leaderboards. I've seen the news, of course, but I figured it would be like, okay, you've got your game connected, um, and there would be worldwide leaderboards on every title that they have produced. Apparently yeah. not. Well, well, there are, but uh, they only run for a very short amount of time, each one, you know, rather than being perpetual. So wow. you've got like two weeks in order to play the game and get your name on the uh, on the high scores. Hmm. Um, so as okay. I say, Rush, Rush was the first half of the month, ran through to Bastille Day on July the 14th, and then from the 15th to the end of the month, on the 31st, it was uh, Mandalorian time. So... Um, if, okay. if you didn't take part in any of those, it's too late now. But I'm sure they will be uh, recycling that idea and bringing bringing uh, that game or those games and other games um, into play. There's probably one running right now. I just don't know exactly what it is. Right. Okay. And then there was the San Diego Comic Con, where yeah. Stern usually has an appearance. And uh, in the past, they teamed up with. Um, uh, I kind of forgot the name. Uh, Metal Company. Uh, metal record label mm. and um, uh, this year they sent out a press release that they are actually teaming up with the uh, Repellion Republic who are doing uh, music merchandise um, and Stern will be uh, or actually uh, well they shared the booth together and uh, I suppose it was Rebellion Republic who um, booked um, rock singer Ozzy Osbourne and uh, comic book artist Top McFarlane to uh, uh, for some some signing sessions in their booth. 
Yeah, um, I think uh, McFarlane has been uh, doing a special edition of comic to coincide with uh, Ozzy Osbourne's um, highly anticipated new album called Patient Number Nine. Yes, it, it did seem a bit of a uh, of a strange pairing of, uh, of those two and Stern Pinball um, on the same stand. No obvious connection at this stage, we should say. Yeah, well, there has been some speculation <laughs> since the announcement, of course, that Ozzy Osbourne will be featured in a certain pinball machine and Todd McFarlane is actually the uh, creator of the Venom comic uh, which is rumored to be featured on a stern pinball machine uh, actually probably on their next cornerstone title. Yeah, yep, so the rumor has it. Um, that wasn't Stern's only uh, appearance at Comic Con because they also had their stern pinball pop-up arcade which was running in, um, in a Marriott. hotel. Yes, the Marriott. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was hosted by Jack Danger. Um, past years I followed that, this year uh, I didn't, but um, uh, it always is a, a fun event to, uh, to go to and people uh, can win lots of stern swag and so on. So, so you have people uh, who hardly play pinball at all play it one time at a show and go home with lots of stern merchandise that they are really clueless about what to do with. <laughs> yeah. But um, and give it to us for our quiz. That would be great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So, um, uh, but uh, okay. So Stern was present at Comic Con, but unlike uh, some people predicted and uh, many were expecting, no game reveal. No. So not not yet. Um, they obviously didn't didn't announce a game earlier in the year, so uh, we're kind of expecting an announcement well, fairly soon. Well, um, they did announce that their second cornerstone title for this year would be revealed or announced in uh, August, which is what the month where we're uh, currently at. So this month, and we'll talk about it in our uh, upcoming recap of August. Um, of course, uh, next month mm -hmm. will be. Uh, we're expecting a new Stern title to drop. Yep. So, so uh, and we already hinted what we think, what we suspect it's going to be. Right. So, uh, yeah. And we, other announcements. Yeah. Yeah. Other announcements from Stern. They're uh, doing a new uh, uh, edition of their Heads of Stern Pinball Invitational, um, uh, where um, eight players get to showcase their skills on. Godzilla. Um, I think last year the winner won a pinball machine, but it was only eight players. Uh, to yeah. me, this felt kind of odd. Um, and I'm not even sure whether the level of play was that competitive no, at the time. No. And, uh, well, it, it is an invitational, so. Yeah, so if you're invited, you're in <laughs> luck because you have a chance of one in eight to win a pinball machine. Yeah. Yeah, not bad, eh? But um, how you get picked is um, well, one of the mysteries of life. So we uh, we we'll wait to see whether people will be able to qualify for uh, a Stern Pinball Invitational. Previously, previously well, minimum qualification was to live in the area around the Stern Pinball factory. Right. So, and a little bit of other news. Uh, Gary Stern uh, was interviewed for. Uh, Barstool Gamers or something like that, or Barstool Sports, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they link to that on the Stern uh, uh, social media. Uh, so if you're interested in hearing uh, Gary Stern dish up 
the story that he told already a, a thousand times probably. <laughs> and, uh, check in with that. No disrespect to Gary, but of course, if you... Yeah, it's a different audience, isn't it? So, well, yeah. Uh, they, they won't have heard him speak before. It's not aimed at pinball fans. It's aimed at, uh, well, I guess bar people. Yeah, so... Uh, oh, well. Um, but, but the big news this month from Stern is no new code. Oh, there goes my nap. Oh, sorry about that. You'll have to stay awake for the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> along with, oh, well. uh, along ho hopefully with the listeners, both of them. So, um, right. uh, let's move on then. So, if we've got no, no new code to, to send you off to sleep, let's see what we can we can bring up from uh, some of the other companies. Yeah, okay. So, some people are very excited about the next topic. Um, I'll still have to, uh, to see it. So, But, um, well, uh, we thought we'd seen the end of Deep Root Pinball, and maybe we have, but maybe we haven't. No, because um, instead we've seen the launch this month, or I should say last month in, uh, in July, of a new pinball company called Turner Pinball. Yeah, technically, I think uh, I did a Who is on the website, and I think it was registered in April. So uh, it's already in existence for a couple of months, but they surfaced uh, this month. And they did a sort of puzzle, which was kind of complicated, I, uh, I believe, from watching the video uh, where they were talking with the winner of the puzzle who solved it. And... Um, Oh well, uh, it so, seemed a bit uh, so, sort of nerdy to me because yeah. uh, if, if this is the the launch of a new pinball company, you spend the first twenty minutes talking about a word search puzzle you put on, not even your own website, but no, the on, old on, Deep Root Pinball website. Yeah. So the story is Chris Turner is uh, owns uh, a company called Turner Logic, mm -hmm. who did the programming for. Uh, the deep root pinball pinball machines uh, that never got to see the light of day, and also I believe did some of the financial software for um, deep root um, a group of companies who were the investment side. Right. Okay. So um, having had a, a a bit of taste of uh, pinball, uh, Chris. Uh, expressed in a video that's currently available on uh, turnerpinball.com uh, that he is looking to work in pinball uh, more and that's why he set up Turner Pinball as a, uh, a subdivision of Turner Logic so to speak um, but, but working in pinball doesn't mean necessarily to me that he will be manufacturing games especially this is a programmer so, well, yeah, um, although it seems to be uh, expanding into areas you know, not, nor, not strictly related to programming or software. I mean, his, his company, El Chris, teamed up with, with somebody else and they bought all the uh, life insurance policies that Deeproot had. Um, so they, they got them at a, at a very good price. So they're now in, in that business and... He also bought an awful lot of the assets which uh, which were on sale as part of the, the liquidation of Deep Root Pinball. Right. Okay. Um, and although he's very keen to say not Deep Root Pinball 2.0, um, he started off by using the Deep Root Pinball website, which now, now that the puzzle is over, um, redirects to turnerpinball.com. Right website and the prize for the the uh, the person who solved the puzzle was a deep root pinball translate 
So, not entirely. Let's say mixed messages there. Yeah, okay, but okay. So the, the message I got, um, and and uh, excuse me for um, uh, not overhyping this or or getting really enthusiastic about it. So so we got a a, a programmer with a lot of cash. Um, who's interested in working in pinball, but that doesn't mean that you know how to actually manufacture pinball machines. And we have seen that go wrong uh, too many times. I wish him all the best. Oh, absolutely. But I, but, yes. but, but, I, but, but um, the only advice I would give at this point is, like, it only happens if you have the right team around you. So get the right team and see if you can make it happen. And um, uh, he's already expressing in the video that's on the website that it's going to be a long journey. So mm -hmm. I'm not expecting any games to be announced anytime soon. Well, yes. but but I'm still happy to see that we have another party interested in uh, in pinball manufacturing. Yeah, it does seem that he's actually trying to buy more of Deep Root Pinball's intellectual property, um, which is a bit odd. Um, but, you know, it's got design. I don't know if that means that he wants to buy any of their designs for games and, and bring those into production. We kind of hope not. It'd be nice to see, you know, it'd be nice to draw a line under that little, uh, that little experiment um, with Deep Root and well, move on and well. do something new with uh, a more positive spin on it. Well, 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 we might want to draw a line, but we know that American Pinball is also looking at the at buying some of the IP of uh, Deep Root Pinball. So some of these designs are very likely to appear at some point in the future with some company. Yeah, but they could be rethemed in, you know, into another game, and oh, yeah, it may not even be apparent that it was uh, a Deep Root Pinball design. Yeah, no, that's true. Hmm. So. Okay, oh, well. so we wish um, Chris Turner and everybody at Turner Pinball the best of luck with their new company, and uh, we will bring you updates uh, as and when we have anything to report. Right, okay. So, um, moving on overseas all the way to uh, Taiwan, mm -hmm. where Homeping is based, um, I'll leave this one to you. Uh, well, there haven't been a huge amount of news from Homepin uh, this month. Um, they did show a picture of uh, an instruction card from the, this is Spinal Tap pinball, which uh, includes some some rules, um, which uh, maybe not the the clearest rules to be honest, but um, I'm sure it'll all make sense once you actually get your hands on the flipper buttons. But they also announced a uh, a special USB programming cable for updating the code in home pin machines. Well, you know, most most other companies seem to allow you to either put a, a USB stick or an SD card in with, with new software and it will update itself. Or Wi-Fi. Or Wi-Fi, very good. Yes, that's right. Uh, well, apparently for, for home pin games, you need to plug a laptop or a desktop um, computer into uh, the uh, USB port or use the USB port of one of those computers with this special cable and connect it with um, to the uh, home pin game and run a special bit of software on your computer to upload the, the uh, new code, which kind of almost takes you back to the uh, like Pinball 2000 days where you had to had to do that kind of thing then um but um well i suppose uh, they're probably not going to be updating them that frequently so uh, once the uh, once you've got the cable then you'll be uh, be good to update any of the home pin machines in uh, in the immediate future 
Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But the best, the best news we keep, of course, for last, and that is uh, that this is Spinal Tap will have a mechanical knocker and a bell in the back box. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, an electrical bell, I should say, one that uh, is can be um, powered um, on demand by the game. So. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Like a doorbell, like Dee! and yeah. who is it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, now, as I said before, the game's going to um, preview at the uh, Pinfest show in uh, in Australia. Yeah, uh, that's in September, mid September. September. Yep. Yes, correct. So, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, hoping uh, social media is already uh, referring uh, on a regular basis to uh, to the Pinfest. A website and so mm-hmm. on. So, uh, well, we look forward to seeing the game revealed, and uh, obviously, we're still very curious. Uh, this is Spinal Tap is a theme that has been anticipated by many people. So, uh, the bar is pretty high on what people's expectations are, and it's very easy to um, to 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 get off on the wrong food, I would say, if you don't meet people's expectations. Oh, well, I think expectations are mixed, because, uh, yes, they, they, everyone can see it's a, it's a fantastic theme, and uh, with lots of possibilities, but on the other hand, it's the, it's the next game after Thunderbirds. So, you know, there's a mix there of... Uh, somewhere in between those two possibilities is, is where This Is Spinal Tap is going to uh, come. Right. Okay. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, yep, which all should be revealed in September. Right. So, moving on to um, Pinball Adventures, uh, which is the company that has been announcing uh, a bunch of titles, including the uh, the Pony Factory and mm-hmm. uh, Elements. Um, actually, not so much news. We're still waiting for production games to show up, which apparently have been in production for some months, but. Um, at the moment it seems that the production pace is not that high uh, and I still have the feeling that uh, besides a um, um, contracted um, design team I still get the feeling that uh, that, that this is a, uh, a sort of a one-man show <laughs> uh, which doesn't have to mean that it's a, a, a bad thing if you can source it out to the right parties uh, you can get a long way Um but for well, we all we got this month on Instagram was a uh, a gift from God U-turn shot uh, from uh, the Elements game, which is not even the game that's supposed to be in production, and a Switch Matrix breakout board for Pony Factory, um, where uh, individual switches are connected to uh, the rows and columns. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they had um, a dedicated board just for Pony Factory. It's not like a, a general purpose board where it could be used on, on lots of different games. Uh, every switch output was labelled on the board with exactly what, what, what it connects to on the Pony Factory uh, playfield. So, um, but, you know, maybe, I mean, that's that's probably fair to say that, that, that most games these days have custom PCBs um, under the playfield, usually for lights and to connect switches and solenoids. So not that unusual, but I thought it might have been a little more sort of a, of a generic board. Because all it does is it has the, the switches and columns, uh, sorry, the rows and columns for the switch matrix coming in on one side, coming out on the other, and 
sort of at the sides is where I think like something like 16 different switches can be connected. You know, it doesn't need to be specific to that game, but um, it is because yeah. it says manufacturer on it, and then I say everything is labelled yeah. uh, according to its use. Uh, yeah, it was interesting to see that uh, they were working on the um, the elements game and um, and trying to trying to fine tune the shots for that. Um, I, I quite like the uh, the gift from the gold. It's a very tight U-turn ramp. No, not ramp, uh, U-turn lane, yeah. with just a, a stand-up target at the end. So you had to make it all the way round the U-turn to hit the target, and then the ball presumably rolls back again. Right, uh, so I don't know how long the shot is, because it seems interesting, but if it's close to the flippers, then it probably won't work. So, Oh, it could be very, a very powerful rebound, couldn't it, off that? And, uh, quite yeah. dangerous, yeah. So, um, but but um, uh, obviously, just like with... Um, uh, Thunder, uh, uh, or sorry, Turner Pinball. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish uh, Pinball Adventures all the best, but at this point, I think it would be time to get games into production and and to yeah. distributors so people can actually get their hands on them and play them. Because you, what we've seen with Deep Root is you can design a dozen games if they're not in production at the end. There's no business model there. Well, this is going back to the old um, John Popperduke and Zidware games, isn't it? You know, uh, Magic Girl, uh, Raza, and uh, Alice in Wonderland. You can keep designing, and designing, and designing, but unless you can actually produce something, um, yeah, well, that's, where the, uh, that, that's, that's where the money's coming in. At some point, you're going to run out of funds, and hopefully that's not the case. But well, one thing uh, you can say about uh, Pinball Adventures is they haven't taken any money off anyone yet. No, that's absolutely true, and uh, that's something absolutely to implore them for. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, we'd like to see production <laughs> so that people actually can buy uh, the game. Absolutely right, yeah. Okay. Well, one hopefully company, soon. Hopefully soon. One company which is producing games um, is American Pinball, and they are producing Legends of Valhalla still. And if you had bought one of their games recently, uh, there's a nice surprise for you because uh, there are art blades uh, which are now available. You know the uh, the arted pieces which stick on the side of the, the interior side of the cabinet and uh, match the playfield art and they have, uh, have arrived at American Pinball and are being shipped to, or being prepared to be shipped over the next few weeks to owners of the Legends of Valhalla game but you have to register your game at american-pinball.com uh, in order to receive this um, if you're in the US that is if you are overseas then you, you should contact your distributor who uh, who should be able to get you your art blades for your Legends of Valhalla game? Yeah, still um, very applaudable that American Pinball is sending upgrades to games uh, that have already been sold. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, yeah. I think it was that many. It just took a bit longer than uh, than planned. Yeah, but but we don't see that many uh, uh, companies uh, doing that kind of stuff. You know? No, no. Very often to be available to to purchase as an add-on. Yeah, so, uh, so nice, so, uh, nice for yeah, supporting uh, American pinball, and that's about all the news from American pinball at the moment. I think it is. Yeah. Um, so let's move so, on to uh, our next pinball company, Spooky Pinball. Yeah, not a lot of news there. Um, some reason um, their previous website of www.spookypinball.com um, seems to have disappeared and just has a sort of default landing page saying something interesting is coming. 
Right. So now, if you want to go to Spooky Pinball, you have to go to new.spookypinball.com, and that will give you their, their full website, along with their code updates, of which there... Well, there is one this month. Yeah. Oh, let me grab a pillow. Okay, here we go. It's <laughs> Halloween and Ultraman. Um, obviously, pretty much the same game, different themes on it. Um, just a whole bunch of updates for um, well, just tweaks really. They're not they're not major feature changes um, and, and and bug fixes really. The um, things that weren't working correctly should now be working a lot better um some switches have been added to the switch test uh the slingshot power wasn't being set properly um so really mostly mostly bug fixes um and um and also gives you the ability to um well the games can store um music changes during the game so uh I don't know exactly how that works, but apparently it's a big new feature. And um, and the wizard mode was was not stopping ball ball save times, so uh, that were running. So uh, it's nice that that does does now work. So anyways, a bunch of updates. That is version one point zero eight for Halloween and Ultraman. Get that right. from the new dot com website. Right, okay. I'm not sure whether we discussed this. Uh, I think I mentioned it already in the uh, Pinball Magazine newsletter that uh, last month was out uh, uh, rather late, uh, for which I apologize, but it went out anyway. Um, the Loser Kid uh, Pinball Podcast did an interview with um, Total Nuclear Annihilation designer and programmer and music producer Scott Denisi, Um and he sort of confirmed, or well, he basically confirmed, that um, Spooky Pinball is very likely to do a second run of Total Nuclear Annihilation with some um, uh, already existing uh, uh, aftermarket mods pre-installed in the game when you buy it. So, uh, a sort of upgraded version of uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation. Scott himself is working on uh, updated code, which basically means Corbett integration and uh, some some minor tweaks and bug fixes. And um, well, there's no other news other than that uh, the game is already being ru- well, rumored to to be taken back into production for prior to uh, Rick and Morty, I think. Um, uh, and then it didn't happen. Um, hmm. It's likely to happen after the run of Halloween and um, Ultraman, uh, but that hasn't been confirmed, and neither do we know at what price point. Because um, in the meantime, parts got more expensive, and hmm. uh, and and so on. So, so we'll, we'll wait for an announcement on that. Of course, we haven't. We, we don't know what the what the next full or next new title to be announced by Spooky Pinball is going to be, or indeed when they're going to announce it. Yeah, so, and, um, uh, well, the interesting thing is, um, while uh, I can see that there is a demand for um, uh, game, a spooky game or total nuclear annihilation mm-hmm. uh, in America, um, uh, that was, up to, until Halloween, uh, Spooky's best-selling title. Um, although, no, prior to Rick and Morty, it was Spooky's best-selling title, and... Um, in the meantime, they sold a lot more games. I'm not sure whether that means that they can do another 500 
um, the total nuclear annihilation games, um, it will be more interesting to see whether they can actually get the game uh, out into the world because Europe and I think Australia hardly don't have any total nuclear annihilations. I think I imported four into the Netherlands myself and by the time they got an importer here uh, the game was no longer in production. So the number of total nuclear annihilations um, in Europe I think is under 20 and I think the game could be a real hit over here if distributed properly. And mm, priced uh, suitably. Right. So um, um, so uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see whether Spooky will be able to tap into the, uh, the, the, the overseas market, uh, so to speak. Uh, and, of course, we wish them best of luck in doing that, and mm. we hope for an announcement soon. Yep. Okay, well, we also hope for some announcements from some of other companies, but there hasn't been any news from Chicago Gaming this month. Or Dutch Pinball. Or Multimorphic. Or Haggis Pinball. Wow, okay. Well, I mean, it's nice that all these companies exist, uh, but I think they're all just getting on, building their games, doing what they do. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so, and then there's um, some other news to, uh, to cover. Um, we already... Um, uh, touched on the um, the passing of uh, Raphael Lankar. Um but Imoto uh, Harney had an interesting uh, uh, message uh, um, to uh, to share. She's working on a uh, a new uh, project, a, 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 a movie, a feature film. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, called Skillshot Baby. Tell me more. Yeah, uh, well, Emoto is working with James Moriarty, um, both from the uh, Marco uh, um, media um, outfit, and they have teamed up to to um, fund a feature-length film, which they say is made by, for, and about pinball fans, um, which... A little disappointing. It'd be nice if it uh, was uh, was aimed at a wider audience, but even so, pinball uh, fans know what they like. Um, so what they're doing is they are pulling together a a short, um, a short version of the uh, of the, called uh, Skillshot Baby Pinball Epiphany, and that is kind of like a um, it's a demonstration of what they're going, what they want to do with the full length feature film. So, in order to get this um, this Skillshot Baby Pinball Epiphany uh, up and running on the 16th of July, they started a Kickstarter campaign to help fund it. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's something around twelve thousand dollars they're looking for to pay for the uh, well, all the all the filming, production, um, actors. Um, the cast and crew, anyway, or to make it. And then, um, if you want to get involved in this, then all you have to do is go to skillshotbaby.com and you can find out all the details about it. There was a, um, an online audition for roles held on the 9th and 10th of July, but of course that's all been and gone. So, uh, no, no chance to get in on that. But uh, as with most of these Kickstarter projects, there is uh, a, a quite a wide range of different um, rewards for funding or helping to fund the Kickstarter campaign. So if you go over to uh, their website, as I say, skillshotbaby.com, have a look, um, see what uh, they're planning, 
and see if you uh, if, if it's something that you would like to contribute to. Right. Okay. So, um, and then there was some uh, other uh, interesting uh, pinball use, I would say, on the uh, the the cover art for uh, the uh, new Eminem Greatest Hits Two album that uh, basically looks like a pinball back glass. It does, yeah. Curtain Call 2 is uh, is the Greatest Hits album, or second Greatest Hits album. It, uh, yeah, it looks like, uh, I suppose, a, a Gottlieb-type displays, but um, probably not Gottlieb-type back glass. No, it's more belly-based, uh, mm, Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's got a big picture of, uh, of him looking a bit um, David Blaine-like. I suppose, dressed in... I have no idea who that is. Oh, the magician uh, guy who's stuck himself in a box um, and does weird things. Anyway, it's... um, The the interesting thing, as soon as I saw it, I immediately looked at it and went, oh, all the scores that are in the the four score windows all read something upside down. Oh, I had a note. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's... Took me back to my days at at school, early days of having a calculator, so you type in... You know, some some uh, number sequence turned upside down. It would read something vaguely rude, but yeah, um, so so we got boobs, yeah, and hellish, yeah, and uh, oh well, we'll leave it to the people uh, to uh, to discover it themselves. Yeah. Um, and speaking of such uh, 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 pinball footage in non-pinball uh, areas, mm-hmm. um, if you're a wrestling fan, you probably already noticed the. Um, um, uh, all the all the bumper clips, uh, as they are uh, called, and uh, the the theme for WWE SummerSlam, which was uh, actually held last weekend, um, are uh, sort of uh, filmed inside a pinball machine, all right. uh, virtual, uh, so to speak. So you you sort of following the ball inside a pinball machine, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, which was a, a very nice touch. I uh, I have to say, the show itself. Uh, if you like wrestling, uh, it's very uh, interesting as well to watch. Um, I happen to like wrestling, so I, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to get some uh, some pinball with my wrestling. Fantastic. And uh, talking of, of videos, uh, pinball-related, then um, we spoke last month about the uh, Pintastic New England uh, seminars, which were up and coming at that point, um, yes. some of which had been released already. I, I was watching uh, Jersey Jack pinball um, seminar just before uh, we had our interview with, with Jack earlier. So uh, one of the, uh, well, probably the landmark interview that, that was done at Pintastic is with Roger Sharp, and he, where he talks about what pin, what he thinks pinball would have been like if Williams had uh, continued making games. So that uh, that video was just actually released today. So, well, what a coincidence yeah. on Pinball Day, which is also Roger Sharp's birthday. Absolutely, it all ties happy together. Happy birthday, Roger. Yes, we, I think we've uh, we both wished him a happy birthday on Facebook as well. And uh, so, yeah, so if you want to watch that, check out the uh, Pintastic New England YouTube channel and see what, uh, what Roger's thoughts are on where Pinball could have gone. Right, okay, so that rounds it up for our recap of July 2022. Indeed it does. Hope you uh, enjoyed our uh, our pincast this month, and of course we will be back with a look back on all the pinball events throughout August 2022 at the end of the month. Right, so um, um, 
we expect at least uh, one game review uh, by Stern, and who knows uh, what other news there is. Yeah, well, whatever it is, we'll, we'll be here with it. So, uh, from from me, uh, Martin Ayer, editor of Pinball News. And uh, uh, me, Jonathan Houston from uh, Pinball Magazine. We wish you, uh, thank you uh, for, for listening, and we hope you'll be back next month. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, Martin. No, Gary. No, Gary? Oh, no. What happened? I don't know. He didn't call.